Hello, welcome to Green Heritage Futures. My name is Lucy Latham and this is a podcast series showcasing the projects and voices of those working at the intersection of cultural heritage and climate change. This podcast is brought to you by Julie's Bicycle and is part of the European Union's Horizon 2020 Rock Project. Welcome to today's episode of Green Heritage Futures. My name is Lucy Latham and I work at Julie's Bicycle, a London-based environmental charity working at the intersection of arts and culture and action on climate change. Today, we are joined by Catherine Leonard, Secretary General of the International National Trust's organisation, or known as INTO. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Lucy. Thanks very much for inviting me. So, Catherine, before we get into uh, some of the content questions, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about um, INTO and your role there. So, yes, INTO, the International National Trust Organisation, is the umbrella body for the global family of national trusts and similar organisations that come together to share ideas and experiences and resources to grow the capacity of existing national trusts and to help set up new national trusts in countries where they don't currently exist, and also to be a global voice for for matters of common concern like climate change. Excellent. And how how kind of core is heritage um, within within the national trust sort of story? Does it feel like uh, national trust's function is to protect and conserve cultural heritage and natural heritage? Yes, I should have explained what a national trust is really for your listeners. So national trusts are non-governmental organisations which have a very strong cultural heritage component. They are looking after and managing historic buildings and natural spaces for the benefit of people, nature and the environment. And they quite often are working with communities and constituencies to deliver that work. So cultural heritage is very much at the heart of what we do. Excellent. So for maybe like a a more personal reflection, when for you in your in your role did um, issues around climate change and sustainability start to become um, really sort of palpable and maybe a sense of urgency perhaps? Well, it's really timely, isn't it, talking today about environmental sustainability and cultural heritage today when millions of people all over the world are taking to the streets and demanding political action on climate change. That's a movement that's been led by by young people, which which is humbling and inspiring. I, as a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s, we, apart from the threat of nuclear war, we there was lots of messaging about ozone and the CFCs, but we didn't really think we could do anything about it, other than kind of you know not buying aerosols or, or recycling. So, I think the climate strikes this month are really showing that individual personal action can really make a difference, because sometimes I think we're so often overwhelmed by this idea of climate change and we hold our heads in our hands and ask you know I'm so small and insignificant what can I possibly do and actually I think this is something we can do is is making our voices heard so when I got my first job at the National Trust which is in 1999 I remember thinking at the time that I 
in fact, I probably said it at my interview, that it brought together all the things I really love. So it brought the art history kind of side with the environment and 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 foreign languages, although that was really probably quite unique to my role. But the fact is that National Trust, it, it works, National Trust's work in nature and culture. And I, th- I think that's really important so that, it, that, that it sort of takes a holistic approach. And so it's meant from from day one, we've always been as concerned about environmental sustainability as as protecting protecting all buildings, to put it simply. Um, and then I started working at INTO in 2008. And climate change was one of those really key global issues that we could all coalesce around and contribute to. So it really united this big family of national trusts, now numbering about 80 across the world. And at our first INTO conference in 2009, we had the theme Heritage Conservation in a Changing Climate. And we worked on a statement there coming out of the conference that would provide a focus for our future work, um, which, in fact, we took to the the UNFCCC COP in Copenhagen later that year. So, yes, climate change has been on the Intu's agenda and and mine, I guess, personally, for, for, for a while. And what do you think about, say, those um, national trust um, organisations or properties that are already in maybe more vulnerable or precarious um, geographies um, than perhaps some of the National National Trust properties um, that we come to think of, you know, associated with um, the UK or something like that. Um, Is there a feeling within the community that there are already National Trust um, areas and stakeholders where the effects of climate change um, are all the more urgent and presenting challenges um, currently? Sure. So I, I think the one that springs to mind immediately is is the National Trust in Bermuda. Now, obviously, Bermuda is somewhere where where they have resources to uh, that enable them to counter the effects of climate change, but they've done a really big survey in the last sort of 10 years or so looking at the impacts of climate change on on this small island and the fact that they will lose so much of their territory with sea level rise and and but sort of on the other hand the the national trust there is able to <clears throat> to uh, undertake adaptation and mitigation efforts to try and uh, combat those risks of climate change it also has a very key role in, in education, and I think that's where our national trusts really are able to make a bit of a difference in that they are meet, hosting people all the time at their places, and it's a really good opportunity to talk to those visitors about the issues of climate change and the impact it's having on, on our work and consequently hopefully helping change people's minds a little little by little in when they you know when they visited a place and they've thought about those issues they can go home and and change their behavior yeah absolutely and does it feel like even with different um national trusts organizations like bermuda to edinburgh that there's still um 
common knowledge and practices that are exchanged and learnings are kind of transferred? Yes. So, I mean, we are a a network ourselves. So obviously we're very keen on exchanging um, knowledge and information. And I suppose for us, the, the, the barriers to that are probably around around funding uh, capacity and coordination and into as a network is able to help make those links so that we can all work together on this because i think that's probably you know one of one of the challenges but also opportunities that we can as a sector a global sector come together so we might have regional networks our national trusts are quite often involved in local national networks of organizations working in the climate change space so here in the uk we've got a fantastic organization called fit for the future which brings together lots of different organizations to share ideas and experiences in sustainability and i know in st lucia the st lucia national trust was a founding member of a similar sort of coalition so those kind of national networks and then above that sort of international networks like 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 is like us into and then we in turn network with other international players like unesco icomos iucn europe nostra all got a very strong climate sense of sense of uh, sense of climate urgency yeah so it's sort of like there's this cascading of knowledge and dissemination between local national international back to national back to local uh there's kind of dynamic that's right yeah brilliant um so really the message is if uh there are any heritage funders or philanthropists listening we need more money made available to support cultural heritage practitioners in doing the work that they already are doing best Yes, no, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, some of the um, challenges um, that uh, we've we've written about um, facing the heritage sector, um, <clears throat> as you say, there's the capacity and the time and um, financial resource. Um, um, obviously, you're doing a great job of disseminating knowledge, um, but there's also something about um, enabling kind of policy frameworks as well, and uh, policy and funding frameworks that perhaps um, encourage um, environmental action, um, but can also um, direct environmental action through funding requirements, um, such as the ones that have been uh, created by Arts Council England. Um, Do you think any heritage bodies will start making it um, a requirement of their national trust properties to uh, perhaps conform to environmental uh, regulations or actions or policies? Yes, that's a good question. And I mean, I don't, it's not an area I'm hugely knowledgeable about, but I do know that the National Lottery Heritage Fund now has a stipulation that its grantees must become members of Fit for the Future, for example. So that is adding a, a level of environmental sustainability to their projects. So when they get lottery funding for a heritage project here in the UK, there are environmental sustainability um, t- 
tags sort of to that. So that I think is is quite positive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, that would be a, a great um, example. Um, so if um, maybe another kind of more uh, personal question to you, if um, a um, billionaire was to suddenly give uh, into a huge amount of money um, to support its um, activities around um, sustainability and um, action on climate change. What would you want to do with that money? Crumbs, what a question. <laughs> um, I let me let me try and think about that. Sorry. So. I work with organizations around the world that, you know, that completely understand the environmental challenges around us. They, you know, they're the canaries in, in the coal mine. And when we talked to them a few years ago about what they thought were the greatest threats to heritage, we, we expected them to mention climate change because in that, that, that this was three years ago and the Director General of the National Trust talked about climate change being the single greatest threat to the places we look after and in fact the answer that came back was overwhelmingly about apathy so sort of a lack of awareness of the importance of our work on on behalf of of governments and people um that manifests itself in in poor planning decisions reduced public funding lack of public awareness so I guess if I had the golden gift of lots of money, it would be about, you know, really sort of bringing, helping to bring heritage up the up people's agenda, so that that we can, so that, so that we don't risk um, losing a large proportion of our built natural and cultural heritage just through through sort of neglect and apathy, um, uh, and I think that's the same in the in the climate space too and, and what what is good about into and our member organizations is that we are able to as i've explained um you know that we're able to sort of bring those issues to the fore and and help help bring it all up the um climate change agenda absolutely and um it's a really exciting um i think time and opportunity and i'd like to think um that people are more and better recognizing just how interconnected issues of heritage and climate change and climate justice um now are and hopefully we're starting to see a kind of turn of the tide um and people not just seeing heritage as something to to protect and to conserve but also as a platform for um, for knowledge, for research, for community building, for um, solutions testing. Um, so it feels like an ex- an exciting time. Yes, that's. I mean, that's interesting about the kind of knowledge and um, and solution testing. I think you know we've got an opportunity to use our cultural heritage to to, to mitigate and adapt and educate and you know and by by introducing sustainability measures at the sites that national trusts look after, like generating renewable energy for ourselves, you know, historic houses can have photovoltaics as well, um, or reducing energy consumption or by managing nature for carbon storage. These 
national trust sites all over the world can act as kind of mini laboratories sort of monitoring change and gathering information and testing out new approaches but i also think you're right we can harness that sort of indigenous knowledge and and traditional um practices so, so intangible cultural heritage in respect of climate climate change and sustainable development i'm thinking so the the national trust of fiji has a has a farm on um tavi uni island where they share knowledge of local agricultural produce and medicinal plants and and there's a similar program run by the National Trust in Zimbabwe at one of their properties where they've established an agricultural training centre to sort of pass down traditional knowledge from one generation to the next. And it's a really good way that cultural heritage can help build resilience for change to come. So the Rock Project, our EU Horizon 2020 um, partnership programme, is between, um, well, various partners um, and within those are several um, historic city centres and these um, historic heritage city centres are being understood as laboratories like uh, as we were talking about before um, for environmental, social, economic um, and cultural development. Um, Do you have any um, projects that you're aware of that are kind of talking about heritage from that urban um, city perspective? Yes, so we have one of our member organisations is the US National Trust for Historic Preservation, and they have a real focus on climate change and how vital older buildings are to to making cities work for everyone. And I mean, I think that might be of interest to the Rock Project, as they've been involved in revitalization of cities actually for decades, particularly through their Main Street programme, which was a mechanism for bringing back the businesses and activity that had left the historic kind of high streets across America and gone out to the out-of-town malls. And through a sort of really innovative leveraging of funding, they were bringing back those businesses into the historic centres. So the kind of cultural heritage element of it was was a sideline really. It was about it was about the economy. Um, but a but a lovely byproduct was that they were reusing the uh, historic fabric of of the high streets. And and, and there is a similar programme in the UK now being run by Historic England. But more recently the US National Trust has done work to to position heritage conservation, what they call it preservation um, in the US, but within within the larger kind of context, and that it's that it's actually just one part of the various elements that make a community livable and vibrant. And this what they're calling this work um, reurbanism. And it's just bringing together fields like planning, nature conservation, social justice, and so on to help respond to the issues that cities face today and and actually I should mention I read a tweet this morning um, from the executive director of the National Trust for Canada lamenting the destruction of a historic building in an urban city centre in Canada and I mean I was sort of paraphrasing but she was saying you know isn't it ironic that we can you know really good at recycling our pop cans but we're just you know, we're letting these buildings be knocked down and we're not, we don't have a sort of systematic approach to 
to reusing and recycling our buildings, uh, which is by far our largest sort of consumable product, um, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think people appreciate the embodied carbon in historic sites. And there's a sort of tendency to think of new buildings as the most um, energy efficient. But actually, I think a new building has to be in place for decades before it can, um, you know, um, have the same embodied carbon footprint as a historic building. Yeah, exactly. The greenest building is one that's already built. Absolutely. Um, And I think that's a great place to leave uh, today's podcast. So thank you so much to uh, Catherine Leonard, Secretary General of International National Trust's organisation. Catherine, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thanks very much for having me. You've been listening to Green Heritage Futures, a podcast by Julie's Bicycle as part of the European Union's Horizon 2020 Rock Project. Julie's Bicycle is a London-based charity that supports and empowers the creative community to act on climate change and environmental sustainability. Check out our website for more information. Thanks for listening.